Good morning, everybody. We encourage everybody to come on in. And uh, if you're already in, please stand with us. It's time for us to start our worship gathering. We are grateful that you're here with us in the house. We're also grateful to those of you who have uh, logged on to watch one of our live streams, or maybe you're watching this video at some point. Thank you for clicking on this link. We'd actually ask you in the comments on the video, let us know where you're watching from, because that's always cool to know. Thank you again for being here. We'd like to extend a special welcome to anybody who is here for the first time today. Maybe this is your first experience with a Church on the Trail worship service. We're blown away that you're here. We're grateful for it, and we, and we just hope it's a blessing to you. Just want to let you know that in the seat back in front of you, you're going to see a what we call our connection card. And we would like our first-time guests to let us know you we're here by filling out a little information on the connection card and then dropping it off at our welcome center right in the hallway before you leave. This helps us know you were here. Thank you again for being here. If you're watching online, you can go to churchonthetrail.org and click connect and fill out an online version of our connection card. Thank you again for being here. For over the next hour, we're going to experience worship. We're going to sing some songs together. So we encourage you as the worship team plays the music, sing along. The words will be on the screen. The words will be scrolling on the live the live feed as well and uh, you can sing real loud even if you're not a good singer no one will be able to hear you because we turn this up really loud isn't that cool so we can just you know scream it out make a joyful noise as the Bible says but during these songs we find ourselves using these songs to lift our thoughts and our prayers and our worship up to God so join us in that a little bit later we'll be praying prayers together we'll be giving offerings, and we will hear a message from the Scripture, from the book of Romans 16. It's going to be a great experience, and we're glad you're here for it. All of it kind of comes together to accomplish one purpose. It's really the reason we exist as a church, and that is to help people find their way back to God and grow. That's what we're about. That's the kind of room you've walked into. That's the kind of link that you have clicked, and we're glad you have. We're going to start by singing a brand new song. Isn't it cool when the worship team introduces a new song to us? It's about to happen right now. And the name of the song is Now Here. Now the message of the song, amazing, is talking about how darkness and doubt and despair, the stuff that we deal with in our lives, has nowhere to stand when God shows up. Isn't that, isn't that a cool thought? And then at the end of the song, we begin singing that now that Jesus is here, and that's the name of the song, Now Here. Now that Jesus is here, all our shame has disappeared. What a, isn't that great news? That is a great way for us to start our service. So we're just going to jump right in. Stephen, take us, take us there. Stephen and the worship team, thank you guys again for coming. Where was the darkness? Where was the darkness? 
y'all again for joining us. We love worshiping here with y'all on Sunday mornings. Uh, we have some stuff coming up uh, in the life of our church, so if you could direct your attentions to the screen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Church on the Trail. We are so excited that you're here with us this morning, whether you're online or here in person. We have so many announcements for you, so please listen up. Before the joy of Easter, there was darkness on the cross. So join us next weekend on Friday, April 2nd at 6 p.m. for Good Friday as we reflect on the sacrifice that our Savior made. Join us for our Easter celebration on April 4th at the church land at 10.30 a.m. We cannot wait to rejoice the empty tomb with you, but until then, we need your help. We are in need of volunteers to help set up the day before and the morning of. We have sign-up sheets out in the lobby, and we thank you so much for your constant help. Our next Life Track classes will be on April 11th, 18th, and 25th, right after the second service. Life Track is our three-week class to become a member at Church on the Trail. This is by registration only. You can register for the April classes at our church website, www.churchonthetrail.org events. If you have any questions about anything coming up, we now have an insert in our worship guide with all of our events. You can also check out the Welcome Center, church website, or Faith Life. Again, we thank you so much for joining us this morning, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the service. Thank you, Sydney. At this time in our service, we pause to receive an offering, and here at Church on the Trail, we don't do offering as like this pressure, weird, awkward thing. We do it as an act of worship because we believe, according to the scriptures, we are telling the Lord by giving of our offerings that we trust Him, we're worshiping Him as, uh, as ruler over our lives, and we believe God can use our resources to make a difference in the lives of others. And so we don't uh, do a, a, we don't pass a plate or pass a bucket. There are five different ways you can give. It's on the screen. There are these secure drop boxes here in the worship center and one near the exit. There's a giving kiosk in the hallway. Churchonthetrail.org slash give is one way to give online. Uh, text to give and Venmo and all the information is right there on the screen. So we encourage you, uh, whether you're in person or whether you're watching online, consider worshiping the Lord with us. Uh, with the giving of an offering. And we believe here on the trail that the generosity 
of our people, of our church family, is what fuels and drives ministry. And one of the ministries we want to highlight for you, just to give you a glimpse of what happens through our generosity, uh, the ministry today we want to highlight is our student ministries called 412 Student Ministries, designed for middle school and high school students. And our, and, and listen, here's the thing. You might not even know one of our, or have met one of our 412 middle school or high school students. I'll give you a little hint. They're awesome, to very awesome. And, and even, but even if you don't get a chance to meet them, our generosity and our obedience in worshiping through tithes and offerings is what helps create environments for our students to connect with each other, to have a lot of fun. And most importantly, to connect with God. And we believe in our student ministry moments, in our worship services when our students are worshiping with us, that God is speaking to their hearts. And God is reaching the hearts of our students. And in my life personally, and in the lives of my own children who are now grown and away from home, student ministry changes everything. And isn't it cool that we get to be a part of that? Isn't it great? What a blessing that we, through our giving, can participate in that cool stuff. So, just want to let you know, it matters, and God uses our resources. So, in a moment, I'm just going to say a prayer of blessing over the offering that will be given right now and, and in the weeks to come. And then Ed, our lead pastor, is going to come and share a message from Scripture. Now, I just want you to know, I'm not sure you're aware of this, before we pray, that Ed and his darling wife, Susan, yesterday celebrated 33 years of wedded bliss. That's what I'm talking about. They are seriously married. 33 years. And so we, we rejoice with them, and we celebrate with them, and we're pretty fond of them. So uh, give them a happy anniversary when you see them uh, today. So let's pray. Join me in praying over our offering, and then we'll proceed with the rest of the service. Father, we're grateful for this moment of worship. Thank you for being with us. You promised every time we gather in your name that you would show up, and you have done so big time. We have sensed your presence, and we're grateful for it. We're asking now that you would take the resources that we're about to give in this offering and the tithes and offerings we give. Lord, receive them as worship to you and take these funds and make a difference in the lives of others. In these next moments, Lord, we're asking you to speak to us clearly through your word and give us the courage to respond when you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, did you know that we were seriously married? Lots of descriptors. I've never heard that descriptor for a, for a marriage, but we're serious. Do you all know, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll be super quick. The day I met her, it was in Peachtree Mall um, in the food court, and I saw she had... Uh, Camouflage, it was back in the days where you, where everybody in high school wore camouflage pants. She was a freshman, I was a junior, and I told the guys with us, and I'm going to marry her. It was the day that I met her at Peachtree Mall in the food court at Sabaro. I mean, I, anyway, so we, y'all, we are, uh, we're wrapping up today a walk through Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and we started it back last May. And if you remember back last May, when we started this journey, we said that Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Rome, which were predominantly Gentile believers. There were Jewish believers there too, but it was predominantly a Gentile church uh, in Rome. But he wrote it, he was in Corinth, it was probably at 57 or 58 AD, and Paul wrote 
this letter to that church in Rome with three or four purposes. Uh, the first purpose, uh, there may, may be more. I'm going to give you about three. The first uh, thing that he wrote was to he longed to visit Rome, and so purpose number one was to, to sort of pave the way for a future trip that he was going to make to Rome to grease the wheel a little bit and prepare them for his coming when he would come. Number one. Number two, it was to counteract some straight-up for real slander that was happening. His name, his ministry was being slandered, and so he has to defend himself a little bit, and he does that through, kind of throughout the book uh, or throughout the letter. He is uh, working on uh, presenting himself as a credible witness, and, and, uh, and it was a time for him to build some authority, and so he puts that in there, and he does that by laying out his theology. It was almost like in this letter he's saying, okay, y'all, here is who I am, and here is what I believe. And so that, that's one of the purposes of Romans. The third one is to help to solidify the faith of the Roman Christians um, that are in that church in Rome. Because you see, and I don't know if anybody's ever really thought about this, but this letter that Paul writes when he's in Corinth and he gets it to the church in Rome, it was the very first piece of Christian writing that those people had ever seen. Because the Gospels had not been written yet. At least most scholars believe that the Gospels had not been written yet. And most all of his other letters that predate Rome had gone to other geographical areas and hadn't made their way to Rome yet. So these people, and most of them because they were Gentile uh, Christians and not Jewish Christians, they didn't know nothing about no Old Testament either. So they hadn't, they really, they were just pagans. Prior to salvation, they were pagans. And so this... That, that's why Romans is such an important letter in the New Testament. And for those people in Rome, they had not seen any other Christian writings, at least that we know of, other than this letter that they get uh, from the Apostle Paul. So those are some of the purposes there. And Rome <clears throat> was the capital of the empire, just like Jerusalem was kind of the, the, the center of Jewish life. Rome was the world's political and religious and social and economic center. It was in Rome where all the governmental decisions for the Roman Empire came from. They all came out of Rome. In that, in that church there, there was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free people and men and women and Roman citizens. And there were world travelers that all came into that, that huge center in Rome. And Paul knew that in that Rome, and he had not been there yet, longing to go, but he knew that, that Rome was going to be this place of great influence, that the, the world would be influenced and it would all kind of be birthed and spread from Rome. He also knew there was, uh, while he knew there was potential for that great influence, he knew there was potential also for great conflict. That's why this last part of Romans 14, 15, and really in 16 is very much uh, the theme is unity very, uh, throughout the last part of Romans. Now, the Roman uh, society, the Roman culture, the Roman folks had built an incredible road system throughout their empire uh, between the major, uh, the major cities of the empire. So movement from city to city was a common thing. Prior to that, it really wasn't. But Rome built this road system that ultimately the gospel spread on God kind of knows what he's doing. As the gospel begins to spread, he has his people build roads that will, at the end of the day, that the gospel will spread through. And as Paul preached mostly in the eastern 
part of the empire, he went first to cities like Jerusalem and Antioch and Syria and Philippi and Corinth and Athens and Ephesus. And I say all of that to say this. As Paul's traveling to all those different places, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, you know, Antioch and Syria, all those places, he's meeting people along the way. He's ministering to people along the way. He's leading people to the foot of the cross along the way. He's sharing the gospel. He's, he's doing all these, these things, Jesus-focused, Jesus-centric things, and he meets all these people along the way, and in God's providence, lots of them ultimately end up in Rome. And so, really, just the fact that Paul knew, because we're going to be in the, in the beginning of Romans 16, the first 16 verses and then a few after that, and Paul names some people in there. And the fact that he knew their whereabouts, just the fact that he knew their whereabouts gives you a glimpse into the way that Paul valued relationship, into the genuine interest that he had in the people that he ministered to, and not just people he ministered to, but the people that ministered to him. This last chapter in Romans, it gives us a... Uh, what would the word? Treasury. It gives us a treasury of friends that Paul expects to meet up with when he gets to Rome. This is one of the, the halls of faith, the first 16 verses of, of Romans chapter 16. It's like one of the halls of faith, one of the halls of fame that the Lord provides for us in Scripture. It gives us a list of names of some of the believers in the Roman church these believers that had impacted Paul, each one of the people that Paul names, they stand up as a challenge for me and you to grow closer and closer in the walk with the Lord, closer than we ever have before. And so as we read through this passage, I want you to pay attention to the warmth and to the tender heart in the words that Paul uses when he goes through this, this it's 25 or 30 people, he goes through this list of names. Now, the last several weeks, as we've gone through Romans 14 and 15, we've talked at length about the fact that a local church, our church family, every church, every local church, ought to be a friendly, welcoming place, an open, gracious place, a place where the sick come to heal. The well don't need healing. It's not a place for the well to get healed because they don't need to be healed. It ought to be an open arms a truth-speaking place, but it ought to be a gracious, open place. There should be no strangers in the Lord's house at all. The church should constantly guard against being in some, some holy huddle. We should constantly guard against having little pockets of cliques all over the place with a closed circle that when somebody walks by new to the church, you just you turn... And you may not intentionally turn your back, but you don't open the circle up and, and let them in and greet them and love on them and hug them. We got to guard all the time against that, against the holy huddles and against the cliques. So what we got in, in Romans 16 is this nearly 25, 30 names mentioned, and he also addresses a couple of different households and he addresses a, a two or three different house churches. Lots of folks may read, and I did, until I really studied Romans 16, a lot of times you can look at this list at the beginning and just come away from that thinking there's really nothing of any value in there. But the truth of the matter is, very, that's very different. There is a lot of meat in the beginning of this chapter. 
In this section, Paul is really reaching out to all these people and he's thanking those folks who made an impact on his life and made an impact in his ministry. And I'm going to tell you, if you're watching online or if you're sitting out there, it is, a, it is an awesome thing when you and I can think about the people, think through the people, and thank those that have made a difference in our life. Maybe it's somebody that led us to Christ. Maybe it's somebody that poured into us in a growth group or in a life group. Maybe it's somebody that just reached out and they took a, and we went to lunch with them, you know, every couple of weeks. And but our lives connected and we grew spiritually. Maybe whatever it is, wouldn't it be cool to write them a little handwritten note and thank them, or shoot them a text, or or call? Oh my gosh, you could actually call somebody and actually audibly speak to another human being. How awesome would that be? What if they're in this room right now and you got up right now? You're not going to offend me. You get up right now and you go over there and hug them and thank them for just being part of your life and pouring into your life. We need to do that, y'all. We need to do it. So I want us to look through this morning this list of folks that Paul mentions. And as we do that, we are going to realize that behind every one of those names is a story. And Paul doesn't go into detail at all. He mentions a little, he talks a little bit, but he doesn't go, you don't get the whole story of these people. But, I'm, but behind every one of those names is a story, and it's a special story, and it's a unique story, and at the core of the core, it is a Jesus story behind every single one of those names. And you know what? The same can be said of every one of y'all. If you're a Christ follower, the same thing. You got a unique, special Jesus story. When he saved you, he made you special, and he made you unique. And do you know there is no one else in the body of Christ that is just like you? And so Paul is saluting these people, and so I'm saluting y'all today. Let's look at Paul's people. The name of today's message is Paul's people, and I want to read through this passage in its entirety so you can get a feeling in, in all together you can get a feeling for Paul's heart and you can get a feeling for what he's trying to, to say and the way that he's talking about unity in the body. And he's done that for a couple of chapters now. And then here at the end, uh, at the beginning of, of, uh, of chapter 16, he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea. Now, he's commending Phoebe. Phoebe's not in the church in Rome. Phoebe is actually... Uh, delivering the letter for Paul. So he's commending her to the folks in Rome, and he says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And whenever you hear that word saints, when Paul refers to the saints, he's just, it's just another way to talk about or to, to, to mention Christ followers. So that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe is this wealthy lady. She's from Corinth. And she has supported Paul's ministry. Who knows for how long, but for years. And we believe that she had business in Rome. And so she's in Corinth, but she's got business in Rome. And Paul enlists her to deliver the letter that, he's, that is being written, the letter that he's writing to the church in Rome. Phoebe delivers it. Verse 3 says, Greet Prisca or Priscilla. Some of your translations say Priscilla. And Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. 
Greet also the church in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila have a church house, a house church. Greet my beloved Apenidas, who was, a, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. We're going to get back to that. Greet Mary, who has worked hard or labored or toiled for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my beloved Stachys. Greet uh, Apollos, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, and Hermas, and the brothers who are with him. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now jump to verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, Tertius, Paul dictated the letter to Tertius. Tertius is the one that actually penned it. So I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. That was a bunch of names, y'all, and them wasn't easy names. They were not easy names. I'm assuming and hoping and praying that I got them right. But I want to give you a few thoughts this morning about these people, these names that to us are just faceless, hard words to pronounce on a piece of paper in a Bible. First point is this. These are Paul's people, and Paul's people are real people. They're special. They're genuine. These are real people. These aren't just avatars. These aren't just made-up folks. They are real people. To us, it may, this may just be a list of names, but to the Apostle Paul, these are relationships. They're real folks. This is Paul's sphere of influence. Y'all know that term? It's his circle of influence. And I think it's appropriate to say that he loved every one of them. You know, you can hear it in these verses, his love for them. This is not some mailing list. This is a list of relationships that Paul has given us. Part of it is that we, we come to understand how important relationships are. And he mentions these specific, whatever, 25, 30 folks, and I think there's a couple of reasons why he does that, these specific people. Number one is this, they are the focus of his prayer. If you look back in, in the beginning of Romans, chapter 1 in verses 9 and 10, Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. He's on his knees praying. These are his people. And so he's praying for his people. He spent a ton of time on his knees in prayer for them. He loved them. And he says ceaselessly, he's constantly praying for them. This is a challenge for us. It's a big challenge for us. Are we praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we praying without ceasing for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we take advantage, y'all, of the opportunities given to us by the Lord to pray for each other? We should be praying for each other. Always we should be praying for each other. And are we doing that? Because when we pray for people by name, 
not just in three seconds, I lift the church up to you. No, when we are on our knees and spend a little bit of time and we name people, we name people. Lord, you know, I lift Ben and Maria Faust and Cooper Faust up to you. Lord, I lift Amy Siemens up to you. Lord, that you would bless her. I mean, when we do that, y'all, it that changes things. It just changes things. It makes it makes the it's more personal. These people, they become more special to us when we're praying by name for folks. We enter into their lives and we enter into their struggles and we enter into their battles and we enter into their burdens when we do that. We are not meant to be out on an island. Y'all, we spent a year, over a year now, with the devil trying to get every one of you isolated off by yourself. And he's done a pretty good job of it, right? In our country, in the world, he's done a pretty good job of it. And what happens is you get all isolated and then somehow in some really twisted way because we bought the lie, like it, beca it becomes a norm. Isolate yourself. He wants believers isolated apart from each other. Why? Because he knows that that ain't the way God wired it up, that we're better together. And so whatever the Lord would want, the devil's going to want the opposite. We are not meant to be out on an island by ourselves. We don't. Don't buy that lie. Don't buy it. All of that, we're better together, and it begins with, with prayer. And then the second reason I think he specifically mentions these people, and, and it's super tied to reason number one, is that uh, these, these folks are, are, are definitely the focus of his concern. They're the focus of his prayer. They're the focus of his concern. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it starts in verse 25, that the body of Christ, the true church, is wired up, and then he starts in verse 25, is wired up that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member suffers, all suffer. When we see a brother or a sister battling or struggling or hurting, it ought to stir something up in our heart. It just should. We ought to feel their pain. And then sometimes we ought to battle with or for them. I'm going to tell you the truth is that sometimes and maybe far too much that this happens, that when a Christian is in a battle or when a Christian is struggling or when a Christian is hurting, the folks in the church meet that struggle with apathy. You know what apathy is? Apathy is the, the absence of concern. Apathy is the absence of caring. It's the absence of, of interest. At the end of the day, some folks really just are not concerned. They don't care about the battles or the struggles or the hurting of a brother or sister. Now, sometimes that brother or sister is met with sympathy. Sympathy is just simply feelings of compassion uh, for that other guy. Sympathy implies that we, we feel sorry for him. And it may be genuine, but we just feel sorry for him. We may even hurt a little bit for them. And sympathy is better than apathy, but sympathy is not either what a brother or sister that is hurting and struggling and battling needs. They need empathy. Empathy is identifying with that person, is virtually experiencing the feelings, the thoughts, the attitudes of the other person. And most of the time it's identifying with them because you've been there. You've been there. God has wired us up for that reason, for the, to, to, have, to have empathy 
you know, we were out on the streets in the homeless ministry some years ago, and uh, it's an 18-year-old girl who's a heroin addict, and it's an 18-year-old girl that had a six- or seven-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter, and she's a heroin addict. I've struggled with lots of stuff in my life. I've never struggled with drugs. Other stuff, but not drugs. But we're out on the street, and this girl is strung out on heroin, and her two kids are just playing out on the street. It's what time was it, Susan? 10 o'clock at night, probably? And, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh. You think I can empathize with her? Who's going to minister to her? Me? It just so happens, y'all know nothing just so happens, that we had two volunteers with us that night, and it was the first or second time they'd been there who had been heroin addicts, gotten saved. They had been clean, I don't know, I'm guessing 10 years probably. Who's going to minister to that 18-year-old girl who's struggling with heroin in that moment strung out on heroin? Me? Susan? Or the two people that are with us who, when they say, I know what it feels like to her, they know what it feels like because they struggled with the exact same. Y'all, that's the way God wires up the church. That's the way God wires up the body of Christ. And that is tr truly empathy. Think about it. this guy trips and falls in a ditch. And apathy and sympathy and empathy walk by. And apathy walks by and says, I hate it for you, brother. It's really not my concern. That's what an apathetic person does. I hate it for you. And they may truly hate it for you, but it's not, it's not their concern. But then sympathy comes by and sees the guy uh, broke down in the ditch and he says, I'm, I'm so sorry that you fell. I'm so sorry, and I'm so sorry that you're hurting. And it's probably sincere. I'm just so sorry that you're hurting. But empathy comes by and says, I fell in many a ditch. Let me come over there and help you get out. Let me come over there and let me reach down and let me help my brother get out of that ditch. You see the difference? Empathy is what happened when Jesus Christ, when we as the human race, when Jesus Christ entered into the world and he willingly jumped up on the cross and died for us. Empathy is what we need to really serve our brothers and our sisters. And folks need to know that they're loved. Love becomes an action word. It becomes an action verb. Love does. Love does. Love acts. Love reaches down in the ditch and helps the brother out. Love takes the heroin addict, loves on him, does whatever, whatever we can do to help that person get clean and get right with the Lord. Love acts. So y'all, these people that Paul mentions at the beginning of chapter 16, they're not just some random group of folks. They're Paul's people and they're, they're, they're specific and they're real and they're genuine and they're very special to him, number one. Number two, these people, Paul's people, they're diverse. They're diverse. When you read this, 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 these folks at the beginning of chapter 16, you see this, this diverse group of people. There's men and women and Jews and Greeks and Romans. There are households that are, that are addressed. There are churches that are mentioned, and they're wealthy. Uh, some folks are wealthy and some are poor. And, and, you know, maybe it sounds hokey or maybe it sounds odd to think or to feel thankful for the diversity, but, like, I am so thankful for the diversity. I'm so thankful when, you know, listen, like, when there's, there's Christians who are weird, y'all, they're weird Christians. Weird as a football bat. There, there's Christians that aren't weird. You had not heard that term in a while, have you? 
there's young and old and skinny and rotund. There's, there's cons and ex-cons and non-ex-cons. Y'all, we had a guy in our church. He's moved out of Columbus now, but two and a half years ago. Super struggling. Life circumstances hammering him. And when I say hammering him, hammering him. And I knew him from about 10 years earlier from a real estate transaction, actually. And I hadn't seen him in all that time, but he came walking in. I'm like, I know you. And I could see his face struggling, I'm talking about. Really struggling. I glanced down. He's got a shackle on his ankle. It's not a shackle that he willingly put there. You know, the popo put the shackle on his ankle. And we're talking, and, and he was just struggling bad, struggling bad. Well, that, that day... Reckon what happened that day. You think it was random happenstance that he showed up that Sunday? No. Providentially, God stirred him up to be here. He walks in. He's here for the day. The Lord saved him that day. Probably the next week, we went to Waffle House for breakfast. He says he wants to take the God plunge. He wants to get, and I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do with this dude? Got a shackle on his ankle in that baptistry right there. Well, we wrapped his leg, foot and leg up to his knee with saran wrap. That joker got wet. That stuff doesn't happen randomly. Diverse group of people, whatever, whatever. And you know what? It is, I'm so thankful for all the different kinds and shapes and looks and all of that. I'm so thankful for that because you know what? God uses that diversity. He uses that diversity in the body of Christ for his glory. It is all, everything is for his glory. That's a huge theme in Romans. It's all for his glory. And so as Paul mentions these names one by one, you can almost see that each one of them holds this very super special place in Paul's heart. Now, we all, I'm going to run through them. We talked about Phoebe. Phoebe is the one that was in Corinth, delivers the letter uh, for, uh, for Paul. So you look, verse 4, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila are the poster children for hospitality. In Scripture, and Paul calls them his fellow workers in Christ. And the truth is, every time I read Priscilla's name in the Scripture, I think of my wife. She is the poster child for hospitality, forever just serving somebody. You know, Priscilla had people. Priscilla and Aquila had people to their house constantly. They're constantly reaching out to people. Susan is just like that. You know, she's baking cookies for this one and delivering this for that one and going and getting this. It's a, that is Priscilla and Aquila. Now, they, we don't know about other gifts. We know that they are totally hard-working, um, hospitable people. Paul even says that the two of them risked their lives for him. Apenidus in verse 5, Paul calls him my beloved. We don't use that word really today, my beloved, but what it means in, to, in our language is my dearest friend. It would be like you introduce somebody and you say, you know, this is, this is Chris Lane, like one of my dearest friends. That's what Paul is saying. Dear friend, that's what he means. That's what he's saying when he says, beloved. And then he tells us that this guy, Apenidas, was the first Christian in Asia. Could you imagine that? Could you? And I tried to find out more about him. 
I mean, I spent two hours searching everywhere trying to, he's never really mentioned again. But can you imagine if you could figure out the family tree or something? That every single believer in Asia goes right back to this guy who was a buddy of Paul's. Paul says he's worthy of mentioning. He was number one in, in Asia. And then he talks about Mary who Paul says worked hard. And you know what those words work hard actually mean to labor to the point of exhaustion and physical collapse. We don't know what Mary, what her ministry was. We don't have the vaguest idea, but we know that it was worthy enough that Paul mentions Mary's a hard-working lady. And then he talks about Andronicus and Junia. And those two had been in prison. At some point, they had been in prison with Paul. And they were kin people of Paul's. They were actually kin people who got saved before Paul did. I'm going to assume they prayed for Paul to come to salvation, that they prayed for, for Paul to come to know the Lord. You know, isn't it crazy? Um, because Paul never mentions his mom and dad. But I think it's fair. I think it's fair to believe that his mom and dad put him to the curb. And I can relate to that. Because Paul's the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he gives his life to Christ. And he never mentions his mom and dad. But th he's talking about his faith family here. Now, isn't it funny how sometimes your faith family can become way closer to you than your, your blood family? And then in verse 8, he mentions Ampliatus, who just like Apenidas, Paul calls him my dearest. This is my dear friend, Ampliatus, beloved in the Lord. And then he talks about Urbanus and Stachys, and Urbanus means of the city. And he calls them fellow workers in Christ. Stachys, um, he calls beloved as well. And Stachys means a head of grain or corn. So you got a hayseed and, a, you know, plowboy hayseed. And you got a city slicker named Urbanus. And both of them are Paul's people. He talks about Apelles. Paul says is approved in Christ. One of the few times Paul says that of somebody. He's proven himself faithful. Apparently, uh, uh, Apelles had, had undergone some kind of extreme stressful suffering and had stood against it. He had proved and weathered that test. And that made an impression on Paul. And Paul includes him in Scripture and Aristobulus and Aristobulus' household. You know who Aristobulus was? He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Y'all remember who Herod the Great was? He's on the throne in Israel when Jesus is born and he tries to kill him. And Aristobulus and his household are, were led to Christ by Paul and his grandfather was Herod the Great. It's crazy how God weaves stories together and we're talking about it 2,000 years later. He talks about Herodian, another one of Paul's kin people in Rome. And then he says the believers in the house of Narcissus. Narcissus was Tiberius, excuse me, Claudius, Tiberius Claudius Narcissus. He was a super wealthy, super powerful guy during the reigns of Tiberius and Claudius. He talks about Tryphena, and that word means dainty, and Tryphosa, and that word means delicate, and Persis. And so these women who were friends of, of Paul's, they labored hard for the Lord. It means they worked to the point of collapse. And he talks about Rufus and Rufus's mama. And Paul makes a point to say Rufus is chosen in the Lord. Rufus may have been the son, we think and believe, the son of Simon the Cyrene. Y'all remember who Simon the Cyrene was? Y'all, God is connecting dots. Simon the Cyrene carried the Lord's cross on the day that he was crucified. And if that's true, and we think it is, this is a famous guy in the early church. Evidently, Rufus's mom had meant a lot 
to Paul that Paul says, she took care of me like a mom. And if you think in real terms, Paul gets saved. His mom and dad put him to the curb. Rufus's mom, as a sister in Christ, steps in and she acts as a mom. You know, can you not imagine the wife of Simon the Cyrene and the child of Simon the Cyrene and Simon on the side of the road as dad is carrying the Lord's cross, falling down and sweating and bleeding, carrying the Lord's cross up the hill to Calvary. Can you imagine the impact that the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord had on that family? They come to Christ. He talks about Asyncritus and Phlegon and all those guys and those guys were all leaders of different house churches and Philologus and, and, and Julia and Nereus and the sister. All of those people, probably leaders of house churches. And then he goes down into verses 21 and 2 and 3 and the folks who were, um, who were there when Paul is writing the letter. You know, can you see the diversity in that group of folks? These people were as different as they could possibly be. But they were brought to, I said all of that. And I drug all of that out to say this. They were as different as they could be, but they were all brought together in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is us. That is us. We're all different. Different as the day is long. But we're brought together in the Lord Jesus and made one family for the glory of God. That's the way the church works. We're all different. We may have nothing in common, but we got the most important thing in common. We are all brought together under the Lord Jesus as one unified family for the glory of God. You and you and you and you and you and every one of y'all are unique and special and you can do things that nobody else can do and you can reach people that nobody else can reach. It's the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Just like Betty, the heroin addict. I, I'm going to reach her? No, how about put somebody in her life providentially that can reach her? That's what the Lord does. He has wired each of you up in a certain way to make a... Not, he hasn't wired you up in a certain way so you can hang around and do nothing. He's wired all of us up in, in, in a certain way with unique gifts and talents and abilities to make a difference in somebody's forever. That's the Great Commission. Has it ever dawned on us that the Lord doesn't make duplicates? He makes originals. Y'all, when he made you, he threw away the mold for you. When he made me, he threw away the mold for Ed. You bring things to the family of God that nobody else does. And you can do things that nobody else can do. And you can reach certain people that absolutely nobody else can reach. God made you with a purpose in mind. He did. Don't you ever buy this lie and be ashamed of who you are in Christ. Don't. He made you special. He may have made you weird. Well, go reach weird people. <laughs> I mean, he made all of us different and unique and special to reach the people that he providentially is going to cross our paths with. That's the way he does his thing. So don't be ashamed of who you are in Christ. He can and will use your life if you will surrender it to him. So Paul's people are real people and they're unique people. They're special and they're diverse and then they're dedicated. Paul's people are dedicated. It's a group of folks that are busy. They're busy working for the Lord. They're busy serving. They are all in. 
And they all, if we look at it, they set an incredible example for us today. They're allowing the Lord to use them for his work and ultimately at the end of the day for his glory. You know, they're serving, and we just look at a couple of different ways that they serve. I told you, Priscilla and Aquila, hospitality. Paul calls them fellow workers. Timothy, Paul's spiritual son, young pastor, fellow worker, Paul calls him. Mary is toiling and laboring and to the point of exhaustion. Tertius is writing. I got to think Tertius was probably a little bit weird because all Tertius did, all, he's probably a scribe. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm going to guess that Tertius was a scribe that gets saved and God used his scribeness with Paul. I don't, I don't know, that's not a word. But he was probably a scribe. That's a talent and a gift and God used that so that he penned Paul's letter as Paul dictates it. Gaius and Phoebe are givers. They support Paul's ministry. For years they supported his ministry. Erastus is an administrator. They're all serving the Lord with the gifts that the Lord has given them. They're not serving the Lord with the gifts they don't have. They're serving with the gifts that they do have. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. We can do something. There's something from, for, for which the Lord has specifically designed you, has specifically, your workmanship is different. He has specifically gifted you. And Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians. He says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. There's not a period there. Each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so he's wired us up. And your duty is to find your own area of giftedness and then use that area of giftedness for his glory. Thank God, y'all, for every godly, faithful Christian worker in his house. In this house, thank God for all. I could write my own Romans 16. If I wanted to write my own Romans 16, there are dozens and dozens of people in our church family whose names would be there, people who labor and people who toil and people who lead us in worship, you know, people that administrate and people that, that are hospitable and people that teach and people that write and all of that. All of y'all mean I cannot tell you how much you have meant to my personal walk with Christ. We think about pastors or shepherds and pastors or pastors are pouring into people. Well, y'all pour into me and y'all pour into my wife. I cannot even begin to tell you how thankful and the impact that it has made on my own personal journey with the Lord. That's the body of Christ. That is the way the body of Christ. I'm so thankful for your dedication, for your um, uh, sold outness. Another little hashtag. To you using your own unique gifts for the body. Your workmanship. That workmanship's a little bit of a churchy word, but your workmanship. All of us have different workmanship, but it's all for the kingdom. All of us, y'all, we have several things in our homes, different appliances, toaster, refrigerator, oven, stove, electric can opener. All of us have those different things. Each one has its own workmanship. They're, each one is designed differently. Each one is wired up differently. They're wired up to do what they're supposed to do. They have different parts, and the different parts work together to make that whatever toaster do whatever that to whatever toasters do each one has its own unique reason for existing now if one of those appliances operates 
outside of its reason for being, then, y'all, then there is probably a problem. I mean, if you want to cook things in the refrigerator or freeze things in the oven, you've got a problem. It's not going to work because you're not using those things for what they were designed to be. The workmanship is used for whatever the creator designed for it to do. The toaster doesn't tell the creator what it's going to do today. It doesn't. The stove doesn't tell the the creator uh, what it's going to do today. The can opener doesn't tell the creator what it's going to do. It's the creator that dictates to the appliance the reason for which the appliance exists. The appliance does whatever it is designed to do. You know, this... And you know, when the appliances are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and when the appliance is plugged into the power source, Ben, I hope this doesn't mess nothing up. When this is being an electric can opener and it's plugged into the power source, this is a happy electric can opener. This is a joy, y'all meet my joyful oster can opener. You know why it's joyful? Because it's doing what it is designed to do. It's just like me and you. If we're doing what we're designed to do, we have joy. Even if we have trials, we have joy. Because we are fulfilling our reason for being. I got a happy can opener because it's doing and fulfilling its reason for existing, y'all. We are God's creation and he's the one that dictates to us why we exist and tells us what we're designed to do if you're a Christ follower. He gives us purpose. When we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we're gifted and, and, and he speaks to us and he lets us know our purpose, our reason for being. And so again, I'm so thankful for y'all. I'm so thankful for every dedicated, faithful, godly Christian worker in this house. It's dedication. It's dedication. Y'all, let me call the worship team up. We'll wrap this up. We see people's dedication in their steadfastness and in their commitment. And so verse 10, when he talks, Paul's talking about apoles. He's approved in Christ. That word approved is being tested by fire. That's what he says of of apoles. Apparently, he's tested by the fire of adversity, and he withstood that test. He was part of a group of folks who were severely persecuted, serving in a time when following Jesus cost them their life. We got a friend whose daughter is serving in Iraq. She texted my wife this week, and she said that she's serving with a young lady uh, alongside of her who's a Yazidi. It's 2021 now. This ain't 1521 or 1420. It's 2021. This girl that she's serving was in, is, her life is in danger. Like literally her life is in danger. You know why her life's in danger? She's, she, because she gave her life to Christ. And she's not ashamed of the gospel. What did Paul say in Romans? Uh, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of salvation. She gives her life to Christ. Her life is in danger. She's telling Susan, me and Susan, pray, please pray for her that God would put a hedge of protection. Around her. Her family's trying to kill her. Again, this is now. Can you imagine that? that? That's what is going on around the world. 
and we whine about persecution. They're trying to kill this girl. Narcissus says, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Why do you think he didn't mention, why, didn't, why do you think he's speaking to the family of Narcissus? Because Nero had, had executed Narcissus. Why did Nero execute Narcissus? Because he was following Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to the family, greet the family of Narcissus. Y'all, we just went through a bunch of names and just talked a little bit about each one of them. These are folks that made an impression on Paul, a huge impression on Paul. They're recorded in what arguably is the most important letter that has ever been written in the history of the world. My personal opinion is Paul's letter to the church in Rome is the most important letter that has ever been written in the history of the world. And these 20 or 30 people's names, specific names are mentioned in there because they're loyal and they're dedicated and they're tirelessly working for the Lord. For me, the most striking thing in all of this, in all of it, the thing that ought to encourage us the most this morning is there's only two conditions that exist for the people in this list. Number one is that they're saved. This is not a list of people who have 17 PhDs. They're saved. They're a new creation. They've been born again. They are Christ followers, number one. And number two, they're faithful to the church. They're faithful to the body of Christ. They're faithful to each other. They've locked arms with each other and they're working for the Lord. That list is an image of us. That list ought to be an image of every local church body all over the planet. And so I salute y'all too. That word greet in Romans 16 is also translated salute. Paul is saluting all of these folks. But you know what? Until Jesus comes back, there's more to do. Until he comes back, there's always more to do. I want to leave you with this, this verse in uh, 1 Corinthians kind of toward the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul writes therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain y'all this is all in fulfillment of the great commission it is all about making disciples last words are lasting words his last words to us Go make disciples. Disciples of who? Disciples of Christ. You can't be a disciple of Christ if you're not a Christian, right? You can't be a disciple of Christ if you are not a new creation. You can be a disciple of somebody, but you can't be a disciple of Christ. So first things first, if today you're in here and you have never bowed the knee and said yes to the offer, again, it doesn't take a PhD for that either. You repent, confess, and believe. And repentance is a 180-degree turn. It's not a 90-degree turn. It's not I turn just away from the sin, but I turn away from the sin and I turn towards the Lord. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he died for my sins, and I believe in my heart he rose from the dead. Period. That's it. Don't be adding stuff. It's not Jesus plus a bunch of stuff. That's it. That's you today. Let us know. We're going to pray in a second. Let us know. Connection card on the seat back in front of you. If you're watching online, let us know in the, uh, on, the, on the online connection card. Just click the connect button. But let us know. Our prayer team is back in the back, and they're going to want to, they, they would love to pray with you, pray for you. But if you want to make that profession today, right now, I'm going to lead us through it. That's fine. 
But if you've never done it and you don't feel comfortable doing it right now, don't go to sleep tonight without at least considering it. Y'all pray with me. Lord, today is the day. You've been tugging on my heart for 25 years, Lord. Today's the day that I'm going to say yes. Today is the day that I, that I, Lord, I do repent. I do turn away from my sin. And I do turn towards you. And I believe that you died on the cross. You paid the price for my sin that had to be paid for. Lord, and I believe you walked out of that grave alive. Lord, save me right now. And Lord, walk with me the rest of my day, the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.